You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Well, amen. Amen. Wow. What a great, what a great song. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We give you all the glory and honor. You alone are are worthy of worship. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you, dear Lord, for the historical accuracy of men like Luke who wrote the gospel and placed it in such vivid geographical description, vividly in Roman history. And dear Lord, made it so clear that we can trust the integrity of your word and we give you glory for that. Lord, we love you. We pray now that you wrap your arms around us as we look to your word and study. We pray for Bethany and those that will uh, watch over our children. We thank you so much for the ministry that they do, Lord. We don't take that lightly. And Lord, may you bless us in this new year. And we pray all of this. And Lord, cleanse me, forgive me. Let me be a tool in your hand this morning, Lord. And everything for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, children will begin to make their way while they're doing that. I want you to remain standing, take your Bibles, and turn to the book of James. The book of James. We're going to begin a study on the book of James as we start this new year. We're going to look at the first three or four verses. Real quickly, just not to get too technical, but James is the brother of Jesus. This is not James and John, the sons of Zebedee. It's not that James. That James will die in Acts 12. This is not James, the son of Alphaeus, one of the disciples um, who may have been a brother to Matthew. It's not that James. This is the James who is the brother of Jesus, or should we say the half-brother. Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary, but Mary and Joseph went on to have children. The oldest brother we believe to be James. James, now I want you to listen, James was not a believer. Jesus was not raising up birds out in the backyard uh, until the age of 30, and more particularly at the wedding of Cana, is when we see Jesus evidence divine power there at the wedding of Cana. But we have to remember that his family actually at one point came to take Jesus. And if you remember, Jesus said, they said, your father, I mean, your, your mother and your brother and sisters are outside waiting on you. They've come to take you. And he said, my father, mother, brother, sisters, my family are these that are doing the will of God. James would convert after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He would write this letter, and eventually James would die a martyr's death, um, which speaks to the authenticity of the resurrection. Now in James chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations... Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? Patience. 
perseverance. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you for your word. We love you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Warren Wiersbe, Warren Wiersbe wrote a commentary on this particular book of the Bible, and it's titled just simply, Be Mature. Be Mature. In fact, the whole series in the Old and New Testament begins with the imperative be. James has 50 commands, 50 imperatives. But that, in, that, that description that Warren Wiersbe gives here, be mature, I think is an excellent title because the truth of the matter is the book of James is a practical book about spiritual maturity. That's what it's about. Martin Luther didn't like this book. Luther called it the gospel of straw because he felt like in some ways it did not fit his system of theology as he developed. But I think Luther was wrong there. Now, it talks about you and I maturing. I want everybody to listen closely. When an individual comes to Christ, the first thing they're going to ask you is they're going to say, now what's next? A lot of times what I'll do is I'll say, well, you need to read the gospel of John, that'll give you a good handle, or the Gospel of Luke, that'll give you a good handle on, on the identity of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ. But I also will say you need to read the book of James because this book is a very practical, hands-on. It's almost like an owner's manual of the Christian life. So it's a critical book, and it's about maturity. It's about growing up. You know, a lot of times when you're raising children, they, you know, they're born, they're babies, and you think you're never going to get through that stage. And I don't know about you, but Sheila and I, we didn't have a lot. And those throwaway disposable diapers were a nightmare. Now, listen, we go back far enough. Our oldest will be uh, 43 in January. Um we go back all the way to cloth diapers. You remember cloth diapers? For all you younger people, the cloth diapers were a nightmare. And, and for dad, they were really a nightmare because you just had to basically take a bath in the toilet with the diaper. I mean, the bottom line is you're taking that diaper down in that toilet, and there's been a few diapers that you didn't get back out of the toilet uh, while you were flushing it. And I was so anxious to flush the toilet that a lot of times I watched the diaper disappear. And so you went to, it's funny, WH is back here amening. The only single guy probably here right now, and he's back here, amen, yeah, you're right. But you know, uh, then came those disposable diapers. But what I'm saying is this, you know, there came that point when Sheila and I, we relished the moment when our children learned how to basically use the toilet, and we, didn't, we, we graduated out of that expensive journey of either cloth diapers and eventually throwaway diapers, disposable diapers. You know, the, they moved from baby, they moved to toddlers, and, you know, we call them the, the, that kind of a terrible toddler age where you're trying to begin to incorporate them certain do's and don'ts and you move from toddlers to children and you know these kids are all narcissistic self-centered life is about them and you're trying to help them begin to develop a much broader view than their own self 
And so you move to the teenage years, and boy, that's a humdinger. You know, you're on your knees a lot as they get their learner's permit. They learn to drive. They start dating. They start trying to figure out their career. And you go through that stage, and then you get to those early adult years. You know, it's tough moving children from that baby in the window at the nursery at the hospital to an adult. And they don't, you can't give them back. You can't go back to the hospital when they're 15, 16 years old and holding them and saying, I want to return this. It's not worked out the way I thought it would. Now, let me tell you, most of the problems in parenting come from the fact of children being spoiled, narcissistic, self-centered. They never grow up and mature. You know, I'm always fascinated by people like Elvis Presley, Whitney Houston. Michael Jackson, of these people that could be known by a single, their first name. We don't have to say Whitney Houston. We could just say Whitney, probably the greatest voice of any person on the earth. Uh, Michael Jackson gifted, unusually gifted. Elvis, Elvis Presley. I was reading something on Elvis Presley, trying to figure him out. It was said that Vernon and Gladys, his parents... That when, first of all, when Elvis was born, Elvis had an identical twin. Imagine that there had been two Elvises. The, 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 the twin, his twin, died right after birth. This affected his mother, Gladys. She kind of saw Elvis as just this gift from God because his, his twin had died. When Elvis was two years old, Vernon, his dad... And his brother-in-law and another man took a $4 check and they altered the check to buy a hog. They ended up being arrested and they were spending years, listen to this, you think the penal system's tough now. They were spending years in prison at Parchment. Gladys would take Elvis when Elvis was two and then three years old. When Elvis was three years old, they would take a five-hour trip to go to Parchman to visit Elvis Presley's dad, Vernon. The man who had actually wrote the check, who brought the charges against Elvis's dad, eventually led a petition, and after eight months of altering a $4 check, after eight months, the state of Mississippi finally released Vernon Presley and let him go free. When he got out of jail, the difficulty became trying to get a job because now he had a record. They were poor as dirt. And because of all of that, they said that Gladys, this mother of Elvis, really focused in on Elvis. That Elvis couldn't play with the other boys. That a lot of times she was so worried that something would happen to him that she over-smothered him. She wasn't a mother, she was a smother. And that the reality is that in some ways, Elvis's relationship with his mother was almost twisted. It was, it, was, it was strange. It was peculiar. It was unusual. People noticed it. Why? Because in some ways, she never could let go and let him grow up and be the man that God wanted him to be. You see, maturity is critical. It means everything. The purpose of parenting 
It's to develop and mature your child, to lead and guide your child to be an independent, positive citizen. That's what it's all about. As a parent, you're trying to develop this baby, this toddler, this child, this teenager, this early adult into being a productive citizen within society. But maturity's hard. I want you to look at something. Let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Look at 1 Corinthians. Take a left go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You know, maturity is a, is a strange thing. You know, Paul struggled with that with the people in Corinth. The Corinthians. You remember this church at Corinth that had all kinds of problems? Watch what Paul does. And there's frustration here. Look at Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. He said, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere what? What does he say there? Mere infants, babies in Christ. Listen to what Paul said. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You still, you are still what? You're worldly. You know what Paul said to the church at Corinth? He said, listen, I want you to mature, spiritually mature. I want you to grow up. And Paul said, I want to give you some, some deeper theological things. I want to give you some meat. But I can't do that. I'm still having to give you milk. And a lot of times that's the frustration of this office. The frustration of being a pastor, the frustration of preaching is that what happens a lot of times with you, you don't bring your Bible, you don't bring a notebook, you don't bring a pen, you're, 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 you're detached, you're in and out, and you never come to this place and you really never ask this question, God, what do you want to say to me today in this service? It doesn't matter whether you believe or not. You see, my, my goal as your pastor is to see you conformed into the image of Christ, to see you move from that baby, spiritual baby, new, born again, as, as Jesus told Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again in the Shona language in Zimbabwe. I was telling Sheila this morning, I said, I would often say, Jesu Akati, Munofanida Kuburekwa Pachva. You must be, Jesus said, born again. And born again means that you start out spiritually like an infant. And my goal is to see you grow and mature and be everything that God would have you to be because he's trying to conform you into the image of Christ. Go from 1 Corinthians, the book right before James, Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. The frustration is here. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, if you're there, say amen. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance, of acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. Do you see all those things he called the elementary teachings? <laughs> Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to what? And go on to maturity. We begin to grow up. We begin to mature. You know, this year, could this year be a, a year that, uh, that you grow spiritually in a way you've never grown before? You know, often young people, you know, they can, they can, they can have all kinds of giftedness. 
But the reality is, for most of us in this room, we would admit until God breaks a man deeply, a woman deeply, they can't be used by God, right? You know, the spiritual maturity process that James was talking about here, he immediately introduces suffering and trials and difficulties. Hey, listen, I wish there were a better way. But I can tell you this much, A.W. Tozer was right. I doubt God will use a man greatly until he breaks him deeply. You can't, I don't care how beautiful a stallion is. I don't care how beautiful a horse is. If, the whor- if you can't put a bit and bridle in the horse's mouth, if the horse is not broken, if you can't put a saddle on that horse, that horse is, ap- look at, everybody listen, that horse is absolutely useless, worthless, you might as well send it to the glue factory. If there is such a thing. Let me tell you what happens, parent. The danger is you raise that. You remember, you know, I remember uh, there, was a, there was a scene where the law enforcement were going to arrest this man. This man, I believe, had murdered a child. And, and as they were arresting him, the arresting officer, whoever he was, this, this man that was being arrested made a smart remark to the law enforcement and made a smart remark about his criminal act. When he did that, the, the law enforcement officer just in a, in a moment reached back and cold-cocked him, knocked him, I mean knocked him, cuckoo. The mother was screaming, my baby, my baby! And I thought to myself, that's the problem right there. I was counseling a woman a while back, grown son, giving her hell, putting her through hell. And she kept saying, my sweetie, my baby. And I finally stopped her and I said, listen, you may get, she doesn't, she's not in this church, she doesn't even live here. I said, you may get mad at me, but would you please stop doing that she said what my baby sweetie or whatever mom let me tell you something you never raise a son to be the man that god has called him to be if you continue to baby and pamper him you can't do it and and this is what this is what james was talking about hey listen let me show you something remarkable now i don't think frustration is a sin because i want you to look take a left and go over to luke chapter 9 In Luke chapter 9, let me show you somebody else that gets frustrated. In Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 28, if you remember, this is the the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus went up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And when he comes back down in verse 37 of Luke chapter 9, he discovers a crowd of people. When he comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration, he comes to a crowd of people. Now everybody listen. He has three of his disciples who've been up on top of the mountain with him, Peter, James, and John. When he comes down, there are nine of his disciples, and there's a man there holding his son who has seizures, who's sick, and who seems to be dying. And when Jesus comes down, he sees all this commotion, He realizes that something's wrong, and this man comes with his son, and he says, Lord, I brought my little boy to your disciples to heal him, but they could not. They were impotent. They were powerless. I want you to look at this. Look at verse 41 of Luke chapter 9. If you've got a red-letter Bible, well, let let me just tell you, let me just give you a warning there. 
the, the shoke of Mamwadi, as the Shona would say in Zimbabwe, your Bible is God's word from cover to cover. But if you've got red letter, and I do, it says, oh, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. Watch this. Every parent understands these next words. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? How many times does a parent do that? Oh, Lord, how long am I going to put up with this? Right? So we even see this in Jesus. So the truth of the matter is, as James begins this, he wants to talk about you and I being mature, growing up, and being everything that God would have us to be. And let me tell you what's the first thing. How does he introduce himself? Does he say, James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ that performed all the miracles, that was crucified, that was resurrected, that ascended to the Father and seated at the right hand of God. Does he say that? What does he say? Does he even mention the fact? No, what James says is this. He said, a servant, a doulos in the Greek. What he says is, I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm just a waiter at Cracker Barrel. I'm just a servant. You know, Sheila and I, years ago, when, well, we do now, we talk about what if something happened to me, and she'll say, well, what if something happened to me? You know, Sheila, so, you know, you start playing like, you get up, start heading towards 70, you start thinking that, because the Bible says, you know, three score and 10, and if you're lucky, you get an extra 10. So, you know, when you get my age, 67, you're not far from 70, so you think that. Well, Sheila said, well, what would you do if I died? I said, you know, Sheila, what I'd like to do? Now, you, this is going to blow your minds. I said, Sheila, I'd love to be a butler in a very, very rich, affluent family. And she said, well, that's strange. But you know why? Because i got a servant heart. I love waiting on people. I love, I, it's, just, it's just my nature. I, I, find, I find joy in it. But you know what the Bible says? If you and I are going to be everything God would have us to be, we need to develop a servant heart. And so here James begins, and he, and he, he says, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't even mention the fact of a half-brother to the 12 tribes scattered among. And the 12 tribes were scattered because of Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8 after Pentecost when God literally sent persecution in order to send out His church to all corners of the world. That's what happened. And He's writing to them. And He's saying to them, listen, let me talk about this thing of maturity so in verse 2, watch what he says here. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, patience. In other words, what he does is he begins to open up this owner's manual, and he says, listen, if you and I are going to mature, then we need to first of all consider the fact that as we are going into a trial, a difficulty, whatever we're facing, hey, listen, consider Sarah, who's an accountant, consider, or uh, Caleb, consider is an accounting term in the Greek. It just simply means that even as I'm going into this trial, I have a joy. As I'm going into this new year, I have an excitement, a joy. 
Some people look at me and they say, well, you know, uh, they're talking about global recession. Uh, they're talking about, uh, it's interesting, I was listening to uh, Moderna. Moderna's building uh, a vaccination uh, plant in the UK that will produce 250 million vaccines. They're building a plant in Canada. They're building a plant in Australia. And this British doctor was simply saying, that's strange. He said, I just got back from Africa. There's no COVID, no mask, no vaccines, nothing. And they're doing fine. And the British doctor, like so many doctors around the world, are simply saying this, have we been duped by the billion-dollar pharmaceutical industry? I don't, I don't know what next year holds. I don't know if China will invade Taiwan. If uh, Sheila and I had an opportunity to pastor there at Taipei, Taiwan, the international church there, the IMB tried to get me to go there. I don't know what may happen in Taiwan, which is one of the largest producers of some of the computer chips and components that we use around the world. But if China invades Taiwan, that's an act of war. We have no choice. We'll be pulled in to an international conflict. I don't know what will happen between Russia and the Ukraine. China right now is having riots, and the reason being is because they were welding shut the doors of their citizens trying to enact this stupid idea of basically holding people prisoner and thinking that you could stop the spread of COVID. Now they've got another variant. And while Africa has no COVID, and while we're a lot better off because of Omicron, God's answer to COVID, China is in disarray. You know, I don't know what, the, I don't know what 2023 holds, but I know who holds it. You see, you may say, well, wait a minute. You mean that James is telling me to consider it all joy when I fall into trials. What he's saying is it's an accounting term. I'm going in this with the joy in me, and I wrote it down. I'm going in convinced that a sovereign God is going to use whatever happens in 2023 to develop, to develop maturity and Christ-likeness in me. And guess what James says? You know what the component, you know what God wants to do? What is God trying to develop in verse 3 in you and I? What is it? Hey, listen, never ask for it. Don't pray for it. Don't pray for patience. Because there, listen, young people, there's only one way to get it through suffering. Anybody that ever makes that mistake of praying for God, just give me patience. God, just give me patience. Boy, when you pray that prayer, God says, okay, you asked for it, you're going to get it. You see, patience, perseverance comes by way of this maturing process, spiritual maturing, in which God is building into us perseverance. I wrote this down. The word perseverance is defined as persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Did you hear that? Persistence in doing something despite the difficulty or the delay or the lack of achieving success. You're doing it even though there's failure, opposition, and difficulties along the way. And as a believer, my friend, you've got them, right? I was reading about Thomas Edison. 
Thomas Edison had 1,093 patents. He was the inventor of the light bulb. He tried 2,000 materials trying to find a filament for the light bulb. He failed over a thousand times with the light bulb. A reporter asked Thomas Edison, how did it feel to fail a thousand times? Edison answered, I did not fail a thousand times. The light bulb was, listen, an invention of a thousand steps. You and I need to understand that the trials, the difficulties, the things that are hitting us are often things that God is bringing into our life in order to mature us, grow us, and build into us perseverance. And that is spiritual maturity, and for many that's lacking. I'm going to tell you, I may make you mad, but we've got about the most narcissistic, self-centered, younger generation that I've ever seen. And I'm not talking about the 18-year-old. I'm talking about the 38-year-old. I'm not talking about the 14-year-old. I'm talking about the 40-year-old. Why? Because what happens a lot of times in a nation, until you walk through 9-11, until you walk through a major war, until you walk through an economic crash, until you walk through these things, there's no maturity. Somebody made, Amy made this statement, my daughter made this statement, who's practicing pediatric dentistry right now. Brilliant young lady. I was talking about what may happen in 2023. And she was talking earlier about church numbers being down a little bit, you know, around the holidays. And, and she was talking, it was bothering her. I said, Amy, what is, and then when I began to talk about what may happen in 2023, she, she almost over the phone had a chill. She said, Dad, that scares me. I said, scare you? I said, Amy, what may happen, it may fill our churches. Just like after 9-11. You know, there's something about, he says, consider it all joy. It's not going into a trial of difficulty, suffering, as if you're kind of giddy about it. It's the idea that a sovereign God is in control of that trial, that difficulty. And that's critical. And Edison said it, these are not failures, these are steps toward discovery and growth and maturity. Valentine Davies. Anybody know who Valentine Davies is? Caleb, I saw you scratch your nose. I thought you were getting ready to raise your hand. I was really getting ready to be impressed. Uh, an accountant uh, saying, yeah, I know who he is. Valentine Davies was in the Coast Guard. And he went, and it was Christmas in L.A. And he went into this crowded department store coming off this uh, uh, term on his Coast Guard ship and he's trying to find a Christmas present for his wife and he's just frustrated in that crowd trying to find a gift for his wife. He gets so exasperated that he goes home and he sits down and he begins to write his story. You want to guess what it was? Miracle on 34th Street. Irma Bombeck. Irma Bombeck, strange name, she was on Good Morning America for over 10 years, periodically. She was turned down by the, by the University of Ohio. She failed her literary assignments. She was rejected for the college school newspaper. 
But in time, her article would be in 4,000, over 4,000 newspaper columns. She had readers of over 30 million. She was in 900 newspapers. She was on Good Morning America from 1975 to 1986. She was elected into both Ohio and Arizona's Women's Hall of Fame. Why? Because she, she fought for equal rights for women. She was the Grand Marshal of the Rose Parade in 1986. She developed kidney disease, breast cancer, and eventually she died. Could not even buy a position on the university campus to do what she loved to do. Were they failures? No, they were steps. There was a woman, Sheila, who came after her. They called her the Christian the Christian Irma Bombeck. Her name was Barbara Johnson. And you'll remember in a moment because you used to read everything she wrote. Barbara Johnson, who, was a, who looked at the life and affected by the life of Irma Bombeck, she wrote a book, listen to this, Barbara Johnson, called Where Does a Mother Go to Resign? Belle, Emily, have y'all thought that some days? Where Does a Mother Go to Resign? She wrote that book. It was her personal story. Listen to Barbara Johnson, this disciple of Irma Bombeck. She wrote this book called Where Does a Mother Go to Resign? It was her personal story. She broke the silence. Her husband had a debilitating accident and was, and was crippled. She had one son killed in Vietnam. Her second son was killed in an automobile accident. And her third son came in and announced that he was, that he was gay. He then left home, he disowned his family, he changed his name, and he disappeared. Barbara Johnson took that, started what she called the Spatula Ministries. She said it's for parents of, of children in the LGBTQ movement. It is an attempt to peel that parent off the ceiling with the spatula of God's love and begin the road to recovery. Eleven years later, that son who walked out of her life, changed his name, was reunited with his mother and his family. Irma Bomb I mean, uh, Barbara Johnson went on to write a book called Stick a Geranium in Your Hat and Be Happy. You remember that, Sheila? She was called the Geranium Lady. That book sold 5 million copies, 44 editions, in 10 foreign languages. Wow. Cotton farmers, years ago, lost a crop to an insect called a boll weevil. The second year, they lost the next crop to the bull weevil, and many of them could not go on. The third year, they heard about changing from farming cotton to farming peanuts. And for every African American in this room, this is black history. George Washington Carver, effect. he was an agricultural scientist. He was a brilliant man. I challenge you to read the life of George Washington Carver, who was kidnapped. His parent, he and his mother were kidnapped by slave traders from another slave owner. 
that slave owner regretted having slaves, treated them differently, but they were kidnapped. George Washington Carver and his dad eventually found them and was able to buy back George Washington Carver. His life is filled with trials, suffering, and difficulty, and yet he changed the course of agriculture. The reality is, is that this pulse, I mean, James says it, and hey, listen, about the boll weevil, do you know what the farmers did the third year when they made a crop of peanuts? They built a statue in honor of the boll weevil and had on there, thank you for the boll weevil, because it forced us into peanut farming and it changed. And George Washington Carver was a big part of that. Why? Because James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith, there it is. That's it. The eagle is not intimidated by the storm clouds or the wind or whatever. The eagle rides the wind. Rick Warren, who started Saddleback Church, used this phrase. He said, there's a wave out there and we're going to ride it. What wave, what opportunity, what out there for 2023 looms out there that you see it as a, as a, as a great gamble? But God's brought it into your life because God wants to do great things in your life that you could never dream. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Screw Tape Letters, it's a senior demon writing to a young student demon. But C.S. Lewis, this brilliant literary genius, wrote the Screw Tape Letters. He wrote these words Satan's strategy is this he gets the Christian to become preoccupied with their failure, and from then on the battle is won. You failed. 2022 didn't work out the way you thought it would. Things were going wrong. Do you realize today that you sit at the precipice, at the beginning, at the cliff of a great opportunity, and you say, hey, wait a minute. You know, you don't know anything about it. Yes, I do. I always thought I was dumb. I never thought I was smart. I never thought I was smart. I'd, hey, listen, I was a kid that wanted to shrink. I was bullied as a kid, and I've told you that. I mean, I was nobody, nothing. And I never thought I'd go anywhere, be anything. I, at one point, was floating sheetrock and thought, well, that's what I'll do. I'll work for my uncle for the rest of my life because I'm not very smart. I can't keep going to school. I can't make it in college. I can't make it at a master's level. I can't go on. I can't. I, God, God, I can't. Why didn't you give me a brilliant mind or a better body? Let me play ball. Let me do something. I have nobody, nothing. I scratched and clawed my way through a bachelor's degree. I scratched and clawed my way through a master's degree working nights. I scratched and clawed my way through a doctorate. And I can remember walking into a class in a doctoral level and reformed and looking at the professor and thinking, I'm not smart, I'll never pass, and crying, weeping, 
saying, I've wasted my money and my time. And a, pre a president of a seminary, the writer of the textbook, the one that was the, the leading professor. They had four professors in this doctoral class. The leading professor, the writer of the textbook, looked at me and smiled and said, you don't think you're very smart, do you? I said, no, I don't. And he said, I just gave you the highest grade that I've ever given in a counseling class in my entire tenure in the academic world. You may say, well, I'm not very smart. I'm not either. You may say, well, I'm not very gifted. Well, I didn't think I was either. But I've lived a life. <laughs> I've had so many adventures. You're ordinary? That's what God loves. He loves ordinary. You know why? Because Paul said it to the church at Corinth. He said, God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. He chooses the weak to confound the mighty. That's just how God does it because He gets the glory. He wants your 2023 to be the best year of your life. So why not give Him your life? Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You. And Lord, we love You. And we give You all the glory and honor. Lord, what a fascinating individual. This man, James. I've often laughed and thought, how many times James looked at Joseph and Mary and said, why doesn't Jesus ever get a spanking? Why is it always me? Next in line, older brother Jesus. And I'm sure Jesus left quite a shadow for James to walk in. But God, how you raised up this simple man to write these words and to affect the church, the body of Christ. Lord, I pray today for every man, woman, boy, and girl who may listen to this message. Pray, dear Lord, that they may be encouraged that rather than lifting up their voice and saying, God, why couldn't I be this? Why couldn't I be that? Why didn't I have this gift, that gift? May they begin to realize the giftedness and the uniqueness of who they are created in the image of God. May all of us realize that we have a uniqueness about us. And that, God, you want to take us and not only conform us into the image of Christ, but, God, you want, us to, you want to use us to spread the kingdom of God, to affect the lives of others, and to, and to be a tool in your hand. But until we become a servant, till we humble ourselves and become a servant of Jesus Christ, that will never happen. May we be the one this year that does not wait and ask people to wait on us. May we be the ones that wait on others. May we be those individuals that spend our life in service and sacrifice. And not just service, sacrifice. God, may we take seriously the fact that people are dying without you and that we need to be strong, courageous, confrontational, talking to people about, about our testimony, our witness, and speaking to them about Christ and what He's done for them. 
May we take time to remind people that Jesus Christ has not only gave his life for them, but he has a plan and a purpose uniquely, distinctly theirs. God does not make any junk. And as Jeremiah 18 said, when he looked at the potter and the clay vessel was marred in his image, God tapped Jeremiah on the shoulder and said, Jeremiah, watch this. And in that moment, the potter realized the vessel was not what he had intended. It was marred. It was cracked. The potter then crushed the clay. He didn't throw it away. He crushed the clay. He began to break it. He began to work it in his hands until once again it began to gain its fluidity again. And then in Jeremiah 18, he formed a new vessel. God, would you take us this year and would you form us into what you would have us to be? And may this be the best year of our life in service and sacrifice to you. And Lord, may we trust in the sovereign hand of a holy God that no matter what news may come into our life, no matter what may happen in our world, that God, you are in control and we can trust you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come today if you need to spend a moment at the altar. What better place on New Year's Day than to just come and spend a moment doing business with God here at the altar. If you need one of us to pray with you, Russell, pray, I'll pray. Sheila's here at the front. She'll pray with you. You come. May never be a moment like this moment. You come.